Thank you, Trish. And once again, we have with us today Dr. David Hirschman. So, Dr. Hirschman, if you would come and preach the word to us, let's give him a warm Rocky Mount Baptist welcome. Shall we? Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here at uh, Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And I enjoy getting around to different places in Virginia, and I had a real pleasant drive down here this morning. Left, uh, I live in Forest, which is uh, the west side of Lynchburg, and I had a real pleasant drive coming down, and uh, so it's just great to be with you today. We, uh, we enjoy your pastor, and uh, he's one of our Doctor of Ministry students. And when uh, I had the opportunity to come, I said, for sure, I'd like to come. Now, my wife normally comes with us, with me, and, uh, but she's not here today because uh, our daughter got married a year ago. Now, what's that got to do with today? Well, uh, my little girl, we have two children. I have a son, Tim, who's about 30 years old, and then I have a, we have a daughter, Jen. And Jen is, uh, I think, about 27 you know how that is, the older you get. I can't, I've got to start remembering, okay, she's born when and start counting. But uh, she got married a year ago and moved to Anderson, South Carolina, and I don't get to see her that much, and neither does her mama. So uh, she came home for a um, bridal shower that she had to go to, and so mom and daughter are home today just enjoying one another. And so that's why my wife is not with me today, just in case you wondered, all right? So... Uh, but we have been married for, this will be our 36th year, and I want to tell you, uh, those of you who are, uh, you know, get, when marriage gets into those extended years, and I know it can go further, but life just gets getting better and better. You, can you give me an amen on that? It just gets better and better, and my wife is my best friend, and we have learned how to be friends. Uh, first couple of years were a little rough, but we learned how to be friends, and after that, life just got better and better, and all of a sudden, here we are about 36 years later. So, all right, I need you to take your Bibles this morning and go to 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, for those of us who think that the Bible simply begins with Matthew, now i got to help you out now, okay? Uh, the Bible, the New Testament reveals what the Old Testament conceals. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? And so often what we do is we pick up in the New Testament, we get start, we begin reading in the New Testament because we think, well, you know, God is a new covenant now and the old covenant is kind of back there and we don't need to, listen, there is so much rich stuff in the Old Testament. You agree with that? Rich stuff. So we're going to look there, but of course we're going to drive some parallels back and forth. So just kind of hang in there. Second Kings, we're going to talk about two men, specifically one, Elijah and Elisha. And there's a secret. Today's message is titled this, Refuse to Lose Your Focus. Refuse to Lose Your Focus. It's easy to get distracted in this world, isn't it? Let me give you a little story. I grew up in Southern Maryland. Now, Southern Maryland is about as different from Central and South Virginia as you can get. First of all, it's flat. The highest part in Southern Maryland is 90 feet above sea level. Okay? So I'm growing up in an area where it's just flat. My wife likes the mountains. I don't mind them, but I'm used to flat. Plus, we got lots of rivers. 
Now, if you've studied geography and all of those type of things, you know that the Chesapeake Bay is really an estuary. What is an estuary? When an estuary is where all the rivers collect and they flow out. So we've got lots of rivers. And so I grew up, my dad and I, we'd like to get out in our little rowboat and uh, we'd go off into one of the many rivers. And we had this nice river that we really used to like to get out on. And, uh, and he would teach me in those days when I was just a little kid, he would teach me how to sit in the boat and how to row the boat. So we'd get in, put our stuff out there, and sometimes we'd go fishing, sometimes we'd go crabbing. We really like to go crabbing because crabbing is just relaxing and, and, uh, and you just kind of sit there and you get out there just as the sun is coming up and the, and the boat's rocking just a little. It's just pleasant. If you've never experienced it, you've missed something. But in any event, here's what it, he'd tell me now. He said, now, David, I want you to pick out a point on the far shore. Don't take your eyes off of it and get us out there. I'll tell you when to stop. So he's in the back of the boat. I'm in the middle, and I'm doing this number. You know how, you know, you're rowing the boat. Next thing I know, fish pops out of the water. Duck comes flying across. I see something going like this, and I'm thinking, is that a snake? And I'm going this way. Now, here's what you Now, if you've ever rowed a boat, you know what happens. If you, get, if you lose your concentration focus, if you get distracted, you start pulling on one oar before, more than you pull on the other. You ever done that? You know what happens when you start pulling on one oar rather than both of them at the same time? You start doing one of these numbers. And you're pulling out a whole lot of effort, and you're going absolutely where? Nowhere. And my father would just let that happen for a little while, and he'd say, do you know where you're going? Where'd the point, where did you pick out? He said, pick out a tree, pick out the, the buoy out there. The, you know, we have the inner marker and the outer marker, and that keeps you in the channel and, and all of that. And here's what it is. He says, here, just pick out a point and stay what? Focused on well, it's so easy to get distracted, especially as a little kid, you know, fish jumping out of the water, ducks flying by, all of those kind of things. But let me ask you a question. How important do you think it is for the pilot of an airplane who is about ready to land on the runway? He's coming in. How important do you think it is for him or she, he or she to remain focused? you think it's important? How about a surgeon? His patient has entrusted uh, him, him or herself to, to his care. They're on the operating table. He has the knowledge, the experience. He's getting ready to do the surgery. How important is it for that surgeon to remain, say the word, focused? Would you like to have a distracted surgeon? I wouldn't. Let's make the application. How important is it for you and I to remain focused in our lives? Do you know that the concept of being focused is a prevalent New Testament theme? All right. Now, take your Bible for just a moment. You've got a piece of paper, your bulletin stuck in 2 Kings chapter 2. But go to Philippians chapter 3 and notice what Paul says. And you and I can make the, make the application. In Philippians chapter 3, oh, what verse is it? It's somewhere around um, 
verse 13. But prior to verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul is saying this. The things that were important to me, those things I have left behind. Because I have found a new importance in my life. A new motivating factor. Something new that drives me in my life. And here's what it is. He says in verse 13, he says, I count not my life to have, count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying, we could paraphrase in this way. He says, I am not looking over here, I'm not looking back there. I'm not worried about fish jumping out of the water. He says, I am looking that way. And that way is where I'm going. He says the same thing in Colossians chapter 3. Go there for just a moment, just a few pages to the right. He says, now listen. And I always like to do that. If Colossians 3 begins with an if, but you can also rightly use the word since. If and since work both ways in that. He says, since you are therefore risen with Christ, seek those things which are where? Oh, about 25 years ago. No. Things over that way. No, he says, seek those things which are, what's the word? You see a parallel? In Philippians, he's saying, I'm forgetting the things behind, and I'm pushing on that way where Jesus is. He says, since you are risen with Christ, forget those things and seek the things that are the important things, the things that are above. Jesus said the same thing. He says, don't lay up to yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust dust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But he said, lay your treasure where? In heaven, the things that are above. A constant theme in the New Testament is what? Being focused. Last one, ready? Hope you wrote those down. Those are good. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Now, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people want to think Paul did. There's absolutely no evidence of who. But it doesn't matter who, because the message of the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is consistent with everything else that we've been talking about. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, let me get myself started. Therefore, seeing we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and run in circles. Is that what it says? No. Let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Where? How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finishers of our faith. Now, here's the point. You and I will get where we need to go in living the Christian life only to the extent that we remain, say the word, focused. I love to watch Fox News. Now, you may not, but I'm a news nut. I like to know what's going on. My wife got me an iPad. First thing I did is I bookmarked Fox News. Okay, I do. I like to know what's going on. I can't do a bit about what's going on other than pray, but I like to know what's going on. And if I tell you what, there is a lot of distracting news today, isn't there? Now, some folks are inspired by it. 
Some folks are concerned by it. Some folks are downright worried about it. But, you know, we've got the health care thing that's going on. It doesn't matter if you and I agree or we share thoughts or whatever. That can become a big what? Distraction. Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? They're going to worry. Oh, my word. If you're a small business owner, it affects you one way. If you're here today and you need health insurance, it affects you another way. It affects all of us in some regard. But what it does have to do, it has the ability to what? Distract us. May I ask you a question? Is God not still on the throne? Is God ever not in control? You want to know why God, you want to know why I believe God is always in control? Because God is never out of control. God is never scratching his head trying to figure out what to do. God is never calling up. God is never on Google. Okay? He's not. God is never out of, God is always in control because he's never out of control. So here's what we got. We got the health care issue. Then we've got, uh, oh, you know, the stock market. That's been an issue up and down. Then we've got Iran might have the bomb. Now, I know that worries some of us. That's true. But let me ask you this. Will you allow that to distract you from, number one, who you are and what God's plan in your life is? Don't do it. Now, this is where we need to go back to 2 Kings chapter 2, so let's go there. Here's what we find in 2 Kings 2. And remember this refuse, say it with me, refuse to what? Lose your what? Focus. We live in a distracting world. There's always, friends, listen, we're never going to get to the point where everything is what? Okay. Please don't deceive yourselves. We will never get to the point where everything is okay because it's never going to be okay until we get to glory, praise God. God will make it up. Wherever God is, it's okay. I believe that. I hope you do too. Because the Bible says if God be for us, what's the rest of it? Who can be against us? The other verse is this. With God, all things are possible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Man, all right. Guess what? I'm sticking with God. How about you? Which means I need to refuse to lose my focus. In spite of, of all of what's going on around me, those things over which I have absolutely no control, I can't worry enough about it to fix it. I can't, I can't despair enough to, 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 to do away with it. I've got one purpose in my life, and that's to fix my gaze on Jesus Christ. Where he goes, I go, and I'll be okay. Do you agree? And that's what you see happening with Elisha and Elijah. Now, you know Elijah, don't you? Everybody knew Elijah back then, all right? Elijah, the mighty prophet of God, the one who said, it's not going to rain for three years, and it didn't rain. The one who said to the widow, pour me out, make me a breakfast before you make one for yourself. Man, he's got nerve. The one who, when the widow's son died, he brings her back. Everybody knew Elijah. And there was a message from God on one day, 2 Kings chapter 2. All right. And he says, uh, well, let me just read this first. 
and, and, and that's back in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll go there in a moment. But Elijah and Elisha, Elisha was kind of his helper. Elisha was the helper to Elijah the prophet. And they're taking a walk one day. And in the course of the walk, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, in and around that area, Elijah says to Elisha, he says, Do you not know that today God's going to take me away from you? Wow, he had insight. He had information. Elisha is listening. And so they're taking a walk. They're in Jerusalem, and they're traveling down towards Jericho. And if you've ever been to... Um, the Holy Land, Jericho, is an oasis in the midst of a very, very barren area. And they're going there, and Elijah says, I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time instead of reading it, uh, but you write it down. Elijah says to Elisha, I want you to stay here, I'm going on. And Elisha says to Elijah, in modern terms, no way. No way, I'm not. He's saying, in essence, where you're going, I'm going. And so they continue on their travel, and, the, and this groups of people come along to Elisha, and you say, we have heard, Elisha, that God's going to take your master away from you. Elisha says, I know it. Quit bothering me. Elijah says to Elisha, now I'm here. I want you to stay here while I go forward. A second time, Elisha says to Elijah, he says, no way. Where you're going, I'm going. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Elisha had this focus thing down? You think he had it down? I think he had it down. Because he was, uh, he was the helper to the great prophet of Israel in that day. And the great prophet of Israel is telling his helper, I'm going here, you stay there. And he, in essence, said, no, I'm not. I'm going where you're going. And it happened several times, three or so in that time. Now, let's break down this and write this down for me. Here's what I want you to know. Elisha refused to lose his focus. Write that down. Elisha refused to lose his focus. Ask yourself the question why. Here's what it is. You ready? Because he pursued what he knew. I'm going to ask you the question today. What do you know? What do you know? You see, Elisha said to Elijah, Mm-mm, I'm not staying here, I'm going where you're going. He said to all these people over here trying to distract him from what his real purpose in life was, No, I'm not listening to you, I'm going where he's going. He did it because he pursued what he knew. What you and I know will equip us to what? Refuse to lose our focus. If you know that God has redeemed your life, if you know that God has changed your life, if you know the reality of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man, woman, boy, or girl is in Christ, they are what kind of creature? They're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. If you know the fact of that, you know you're a different person today with a different purpose, with a different destiny, and no matter what, you're not going back there. You're going which way? His way. Elisha refused to lose his focus because he was pursuing what he knew. What's the question? What do you know? That's the question. What did he know? Ah, this is where we have to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. 
This is why we have to be good students of the Word of God, so we know how to connect different portions of what? Related Scripture. So, 1 Kings chapter 19 gets us back to where everything started going. Now, God is having a conversation with the prophet. The prophet's name is Elijah. We're talking about Elisha today, so let's be careful not to confuse them. But God is talking to his prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, he says in verse uh, 15, look at if that, if that, uh, in that verse, if you would. And the Lord said to him, go, return your way to the, but to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall you anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Amalmeloha, shall you anoint to be prophet in your place. God had given his man, the prophet, instructions about who his replacement was going to be. And Elijah, the prophet, was an obedient man, and he did exactly what God told him to do. If you carry on from there, you'll notice in verse 19... He says, so he departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and with the 12. And Elijah passed and cast his mantle on him. First thing you need to see is Elisha refused to, know, refused to lose his focus because he was pursuing what he knew. What did he know? He knew he was called by God. He knew he was called by God. Now, everybody knew Elijah in those days. Elijah was the prophet. You know, he went up against Jezebel. He slew the 450 prophets of Baal. He, he did all. He was a, he was a superstar of his day. Everybody knew who he was. So it's not when you see this. So here comes Elijah to Elisha. He takes off his cloak, if you would, that, that symbol of authority, that, that, that outward appearance of the prophetic office. He takes that and he puts it on Elisha. There's no mistake, there's no mistake in what's going on here. Now the Bible doesn't always give us every detail. But we do know this. That the custom and the practice of taking one's coat and putting it on another had what we might call symbolic meaning. And that symbolic meaning in its simplest point says this, you're the one. You're the chosen one. You see a form of it in Joseph and Jacob giving Joseph what? Forget that it's a coat of many colors. The fact of the matter is it's a what? It's a coat. Symbolic meaning, designation, selection, all of those things. And so here's the point. And maybe they had a little discussion there. It seems to, it appears to us that as we go forward in this little section, that Elisha knew exactly what was required of him. He knew exactly what he had to do. He didn't have to go up to Elijah and say, uh, excuse me, can you clarify? Excuse me, can you give me a more little detail? No, the appearance is, is that Elisha knew exactly what to do. Let me draw the parallel for you. 
Well, let me just give you a personal story. I remember when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. It was in November of 1971. Uh, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I grew up in an average American home that, that honored God outwardly, but there was no inward meaning. And, of course, I led one life on a Sunday, and I lived an entire different life Monday through Saturday. And I knew that the things, there's something inherent in us that we know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And it doesn't matter what those things in my life are. It doesn't matter what those things in your life are or were, were, let's say were. (laughs) But when you come face to face with the God of the universe and he declares his claim on your life, By the way, Jesus has a valid claim on every life. You know that, don't you? Where'd he get it? He died on the cross. He purchased the souls of every human being at that time and the future. Jesus Christ has a valid claim on every life. And he beckons folks to come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I shall give you what? More burdens. (laughs) No. I shall give you rest. All right? And so he has that claim and he offers it. I remember coming to Jesus Christ and I recognized at that time, Jesus, oh my word, I wish somebody had told me. I was was almost 20 years old before I ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember like, why didn't somebody tell me this before? But at that point in my life, I just knew there was some. You see, I can give you the theological rationale and I can give you all this, but when the Holy Spirit takes up resident in the life of a, of a believer in the child of God, which is instantaneous, by the way, there are certain things that just happen and you and I should be sensitive and listen. And so I simply departed from my former life and started living the life that I began to read about out of this book. And others began to tell me. And that's exactly what you see happening here in the life of Elisha. God brings news to Elisha and there is an immediate change. Elisha refused to lose his focus because he was pursuing what he knew. What did he know? He knew he was called. God had a plan for his life. God's got a plan for your life. God wants to do something with you. God wants to do something in you, through you. God God always has a plan. And our total responsibility is simply to do what? Respond to it. What do you see Elisha doing? Responding. Because he knew God was doing something in his life. Second thing that that, that he refused to lose his focus is because he made an irreversible commitment. Look at the next verse, if you will. You see, what he does in the next couple of verses is that he takes the instruments of his his profession. He takes some of those oxen, he butchers them. He takes the plow and the yoke, and and, and he he doesn't take the plow, but he takes the yoke and he, he busts up the wood. He makes a pile of the wood. He lights fire to it. He makes an offering unto God. That is simply what? God, I acknowledge you have a plan for my life, and I am coming to you with it. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. But in there as well, I want you to see something. He is saying goodbye to his former life. You see these, in essence, he's saying this. 
I don't need these anymore. I don't need them for the purpose that I need them. I'm going to take them. I'm going to construct an altar out of this yoke. I'm going to butcher the oxen, put them on top. I'm going to burn them as an offering to God. And I am never going back to that life. You see, Elisha kept focused. Because number one, he knew he was called. You and I are called people. We are called to live in newness of life. We are called to live focused on Jesus Christ. We are called to live the promises of God's word. Second Peter chapter 1, God says this, I have given unto you great and precious promises that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Oh my word, unpack that one if you would. God is simply extending to you and me the opportunity to be like, say it, him, like Jesus. Be like him. So that was such a transformative moment in the life of Elijah. I want to ask you this morning, have you been transformed? You see, the Bible speaks of that. Paul in the book of Romans chapter 1 or chapter 12 says this. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't worry about health insurance. Don't worry about the, the, whether Iran gets the bomb. Don't worry about the conflict in Syria. You have one purpose, and that is to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus said it just that way. Follow me, and I will what? Make you fishers of men. So Elisha... Knew he was called, you and I are called. He had made an irreversible decision. Have you made an irreversible decision? Lord, I'm not going back. I may falter, I may stumble, but I'm not going back. I'm going to continue forward with you. And be that person that you want me to be. Second, he had seen what God had done. Simply put, now we don't have the time to do that, but I will mention to you, if you would go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, and and once again, with the knowledge that the prophet Elijah was not a nobody in Israel in those days. He wasn't a nobody. He wasn't insignificant. He was not obscure. He was a somebody. He was known In 1 Kings 17, this is where he tells the woman who's getting ready to die, wait, make me breakfast first. He raised her, her son from the dead. Did battle with Jezebel and the 450 prophets. He was a big one. You see, here's Elisha, and he knew about this man. And he knew what God had done through this man. And now he sees this man come and put his cloak on him. And he makes that irreversible decision. All of these, excuse me, all of these things combined in his life to say, there is no life back there. This is life. I'm not losing my focus. I'm staying right here. Even though Elijah said to him, Elisha, I'm going forward. Stay here. No way, sir. No way. Would you stay here? No. And you see this, that as Elijah, the prophet, went forward, Second Kings chapter 2, Elisha simply followed. You and I can refuse to lose our focus if we would say this, I will pursue 
what I know. Remind yourself today of what you know. Is God faithful? Yes. Does God always do it the way I think he should do it? No. But I have learned this, that if I will wait on him, if I will seek him, if I will inquire of him, say, Lord, help me understand your ways. In a short amount of time, I come with new wisdom and I begin to understand and I'm encouraged and I continue to what? Stay focused. That's part one. Part two, ready? Elijah refused to lose his focus. Go back, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 2. And if you would, look at verses 7 through 10. Because he expected what he pursued. He expected what he pursued. If there's one thing that worries me about believers today, is the sense of, no sense of expectation. I grew up spiritually under the teaching of Dr. Jerry Falwell. Whether you like him or not, doesn't matter. I live. And one thing I learned from Dr. Jerry Falwell, among many other things, that man expected God to do something. I used to think he was crazy on some things, but you know, he expected God to do something. My wife and I left what was then Liberty Baptist College in 1982, planted a church in Southern Maryland, stayed there until 2005. I only ever pastored one church. God richly blessed. But it was with that sense of expectation that also many times drove me forward. We saw God do so many things. If I would challenge folks today, I would say, Don't lose your sense of expectation. Because you never know what God's going to do. God is able. Ephesians 3, you ought to write this one down. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. God is able to do what? Piddly, poor, below what you ever could think. No. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. 1 Corinthians, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God can do what? Anything. You know the old hymn? I maybe You probably all sang it here, but years ago we used to sing the chorus. God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything, but... You don't know that one? Oh, my word. That's older than dirt. All right? Fail. God can do anything but what? Fail. God cannot fail. So here's Elisha. Elisha's telling Elijah, "Mm -mm, I'm going where you're going. I'm focused. Why? Because he knew what he knew and he's pursuing. He's expecting what he's pursuing. What did he expect? Well, let's look. 2 Kings 1, no, 2 Kings 2, 7 through 10. And uh, the 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood afar off, and they, st- and they too, that's Elijah and Elisha, stood in the Jordan. 
And Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, and, and hit the water with it. And the waters were divided one side to the other, and they too went over on dry ground. Uh, and it came to pass, Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha said, I pray, let a double portion of your spirit be on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be unto you. I'll just stop there. Here's it in. With those words, here's this young man, Elisha. He knows what he knows, and he's expecting what he's pursuing. He's pursuing after Elijah. What's he expect? He's expecting God to do something. He is expecting God to do something. As we live our lives, do we live them expectantly? It worries me at times when believers like, oh God, just help me hold on. No, this is not a hold on life. What's the worst thing that could happen to us? We die. After that, what happens? I'm with the one who loves me more than anything in this whole universe. I'm with the one who died for me. I'm with the one who's prepared a place for me that I cannot even imagine. Eye has not seen, neither ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. The what? The things that God has prepared for them that love him. My goodness, what a great life. So many believers are living hold-on lives. Don't live a hold-on life. Live an expectant life. God's going to do something. And here's Elisha. And he's following Elijah. And he refuses to lose his focus because he says, I just know God's going to show up. I just know God's going to do something. And so he keeps going on. Interesting little things. Elijah takes some, a piece of clothing and he smacks the Jordan River and they walk through on dry ground. That doesn't happen every day. And then he gets to the meat. The meat of the issue. In essence, what Elisha is saying to Elijah is, Elijah, I want to be more like you than you are like yourself. That's scratch your head on that one for a little bit. He says, I want a double portion of your spirit. In essence, we could say it this way. I want to be more like you than you are like yourself. Oh, that I had that passion in my life that said, Lord Jesus, I want to be so like you. I get so easily distracted. I don't know about you, but I do. We're leading a study abroad trip to Greece. Greece. (laughs) This uh, Friday. I got a ton of stuff I got to get done. I have folks saying, Greece, are you nuts? Do you know what's going on in Greece? Well, hey, listen, when we, when we put this thing together, things were okay over there. So maybe I should not go because things are not okay. Mm-hmm. But God led us to do it, so I think I should just stay focused on Greece. Isn't that terrible when that thing comes back and hits you like that? Okay. But God's going to do something. God's going to do something in the lives of students. I think God might do something in my life as we see these things. But Elisha said, I want to be like you, Elijah. You and I as believers ought to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. 
I want to think like you. I want to act like you. I've got so many stories, I've got to be really careful. For years, you know, where I lived in southern Maryland, we were like an hour south of uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, so if you ever, if you had a minor issue, you'd go to the local hospital, but if you had a big issue, you went up to D.C., you'd like Georgetown University, George Washington University, Washington Hospital Center, all those things. And the bad part about that is I had to drive in D.C., and I hate driving in D.C. Their traffic lights are on the side. They don't hang down. They're over here. You'd miss them. I've run more traffic lights in D.C. than you can imagine. Uh, the rush hour lasts like five hours, Okay. Uh, you go, you got to plan it so you get there at 9 o'clock and you're leaving town at 2 o'clock because the rest of the time is just gridlock everywhere. But I developed some really bad driving habits. And then I come to South Central Virginia. And I'm not picking on anybody, but folks in South Central Virginia don't drive like folks in D.C. And I hear God thumping me all the time, and I'm driving like, Ron, you get out of my way. And all that type of stuff. And God is saying, why don't you drive like Jesus would drive? All those type of things. Well, that's just a short story. Elisha expected something to happen. First of all, a a transformative process to make him like Elijah. Because he knew he was called. He knew he had made an irreversible decision. He knew God had used that man in the work of God's ministry in the world. And here God was saying, Elisha, you're next. You're next. If we're talking baseball, Elisha, you're on deck. And he knows he needs. He knows he's he's not equipped. He needs God to do something in his life. And he says, if I get distracted, I'll miss it. Therefore, where you're going, I'm going. Well, what do you want? I want to be more like you than you are like him. He expected God to do something. Not only that, briefly moving on, he expected that he could participate in what God would do. Oh, and if our churches, we'd have more of a sense of expectation and more of a sense that God's going to do something and he invites us to participate with him. Wow, what a day that would be. Well, look at verses 11 and 12. Elisha refused to lose his focus and he received what he expected. He received what he expected. I would simply boil it down to this. He received an opportunity to believe God. He received an opportunity to believe God. Now, however you want to interpret that chariot of fire and and all of that, I believe it's literal. I believe it's exactly what God said. I'm not sure exactly how that all worked to combine, but but it's there. And I can tell you this. Elijah told Elisha, if you see it, you got it. And Elisha is just simply saying, I know God's going to do something, and I want to be there when it happens. And as he was, because he stayed focused, God says, here is your opportunity. Here is your opportunity so he expected God to do something, and, and he got an opportunity, and he believed he could participate in that. And I want you to notice 
in 11 and 12. All right. Uh, Verse 12, Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them. This is so wonderful. God took everything with Elisha, Elijah rather. God took everything with the prophet and he left one thing behind. What did he leave behind? The outward symbol of his office. Notice in there he says, and he took up the mantle of Elijah, the cloak of Elijah that fell from him. And he went back and he stood at the bank of the Jordan. Oh, if I could just create the sense for you. He said, and he says, now listen, and I'm, I'm, I'm imagining here, but I think I'm on the right track. He's been faithful. He stayed focused. He refused to be distracted and he's going forward and God's doing something. And he picks that thing up and he says, could it be? Could it be? Could it be? And what's he do? You read the next verse. He takes that and he does exactly what he saw his master do before. He smacks that water and guess what happens? Floods. The point I make with you, and this will briefly and then we'll get finished. If we refuse to lose our focus by pursuing what we know, all right, and expecting what we pursue, then we will receive opportunities, all right, opportunities to join God in what he wants to do. And from here on out, and I would just invite you this afternoon, if you got some spare time, at some point in time, pick up First Kings, I mean Second Kings chapter three, and read all the way through thirteen. And you will find that God did answer Elisha's prayer. Elisha's prayer. I want to be more like you, Elijah, than you are like yourself. The double portion. And we can go through and we can we can find about eight major miracles attributed to the life of the prophet Elijah. And then you go through chapter three through thirteen and you'll find 16 major miracles attributed to the life of Elisha. When you and I stay, and here's what we need to understand. When you and I stay focused, God will work in our lives. When we stay focused, God will work in our lives. Maybe that's this. Just helping you to be the man that God wants you to be. The woman that God wants you to be. The mom, the young man, the young woman. Just be who God wants you to be. The daily pressures, the distractions, the enticements, the temptations to go another way than God's way. If we will stay focused, God will work in our lives. And we will have the opportunity to participate with Him. So the question today is this. Two questions. Number one, are you focused? Ask yourself that question right now. Ask me. I have to ask that question. Am I staying focused in my life? Are you staying focused in your life? Are you regularly examining what you know? Have you made that irreversible commitment?
Do you expect what you pursue? Or has it just become routine? Are you remaining focused? Will you remain focused today? Let's bow our heads together. Our hymn of invitation today is, I have decided to follow Jesus. What an appropriate song. Right there in the quietness of your seat as you're asking God, God, help me to remain focused. I believe you will. Go back and study 2 Kings chapter 2 and see the application to your life. God needs focused people in this world. Not people who are going to be tossed about with every wind and weight. Not folks who are going to be distracted. You're here today and you're going to say, I trust in your heart. I will not be a distracted follower of Jesus Christ. I will be a focused follower of Jesus Christ. Will you make that commitment today? I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand. We're all adults here. We can do that. Will you make a commitment in your heart this day? Oh God, from what I've learned today, I will make more of an attempt. I'll need your help, but I'll make more of an attempt to be a focused follower.